Hey there, thanks for joining us for Markham's latest podcast series, Invisible Strength Next Level. In this series, we're exploring a wide range of construction industry topics and issues. Our guests are all experienced with hands-on real-world challenges. If you're involved in construction, infrastructure, or even asset maintenance, we reckon there'll be something here for you to take away. So, let's get into it. Welcome to this uh, podcast and our Invisible Strength series uh, by Markham. Today we've got Michael Cool from WSP in Queensland, Australia. A brief introduction, Michael is a, is a technical executive with WSP, um, has a long experience in the planning, design and construction of major coastal and port engineering uh, infrastructure industry around the globe. Um, he's worked as a director of uh, marine engineering, a technical director and design engineer um, for some of the largest engineering firms in the world. So welcome, Michael. Yeah, thanks, Doug. Yeah, it's great to, to be here with you this morning. Brilliant. Yeah, now looking forward to the session today. So just to kick us off, could you share some um, key points around your your professional background and experience? Yeah, sure, Doug. Thank you. Yeah, I guess I've been working in the maritime space for, for many years, um, too many of the count probably. I guess the first 10 years I was working in client organisations and in the past 33 uh, or so years been working as a consultant for, uh, uh, I guess, two or three of the sort of big consultants um, in the engineering space. Uh, I initially started my career with the Maritime Services Board in Sydney back in, uh, in late 1979. And uh, I, I guess I uh, was fortunate to have a range of activities then working uh, on design of, I guess, elements around uh, the Sydney uh, Harbour area. I did quite a bit of work for the uh, number three Darling Harbour berths um, in Darling Harbour in Sydney. I did some coastal engineering work uh, while I was with the Maritime Services Board and then also got the opportunity to spend a, a couple of years doing contract management on some major berth construction on a project in New South Wales as well. So yeah, quite a varied experience in those, those first couple of years. And I guess a few takeaways from that early experience is um, I guess that some of that design work that I was doing in, um, I guess, early 1980. Uh, for the Darling Harbour project that uh, now no longer exists. Uh, it was um, demolished as part of the Barangaroo redevelopment down there in, in Sydney in uh, around 2008. So um, had a lifespan, I guess, of about 25 years, um, but it's probably relatively small in terms of, uh, I guess, the life we see of many of the marine and uh, sort of civil infrastructure that that we design and sort of build around the world. So we never know how long our projects are going to last for. I guess the other takeaway is the project that I was involved in, in the construction in the sort of early, early 80s. Um, that berth is actually still being used 40 years later, now uh, more than ever in its life. Yeah, so uh, interesting to see how things can be different for different projects. Uh, I guess, uh, as I was sort of saying, I've been working uh, in the maritime space for quite a few years. I had uh, a few years with Mock McDonald in the UK. Uh, I was there for three years and had some interesting design and, and contract management experience over there. And the highlight, I guess, for me was working on a breakwater construction project in the northeast of England for, for about a year and a half, which was very interesting from a, um, I guess, a technical perspective, but also, I guess, personally, uh, was good. You know, we, we got the opportunity to get, take a young family across the UK for a couple of years and... Um, 
uh, I guess from a personal perspective, we developed some some fabulous friendships with people in that part of the UK, uh, which we still sort of uh, maintain sort of close um, contact with these days. So that's interesting. I guess more recently, over the last 13 years or so, um, I spent a lot of that time on overseas uh, work, Doug, with, uh, with probably 10 years of that sort of time spent overseas in the Middle East and Southeast Asia and also Canada um, and a little bit of work in South Africa as well. Uh, and that's been, I guess, in a role of building uh, maritime capability in the organisations in, in those different places and doing sort of a lot of work on uh, port planning feasibility studies and also some uh, design and project management work. A few sort of highlights of, of many years for experience there. Yeah, no, very interesting and yeah, certainly a very um, valuable um, experience here, especially working in different countries, different environments. So I guess that kind of leads into our next um, segment there in terms of in your, in your role there as a consultant you're obviously seeing a fair few challenges from climate change. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, I guess there's a few sort of areas there. Um, I, I guess um, one of the Im biggest impacts, I guess, we see sort of certainly working in the maritime space is the um, impacts of sea level rise and what that sort of means. And it's, I guess, in terms of the port community itself, I guess I'll sort of say straightforward, I suppose, we in terms of our sort of design works, we, we can accommodate and uh, make provision for future sea level rise in terms of the designs that, that we do. But, but I guess the biggest impact I see is on, on communities, coastal communities, Doug, now, whether it what we sort of see with the, I guess, remote islands, say around the Pacific or around the Indian Ocean, where sea level rise can have a huge impact on, on those locations, of course. But also in, I guess, urban communities where, uh, I guess, sea level rise has a big impact uh, on those communities as well. We've been doing work in Canada uh, before I came back to Australia over the last couple of years. And I guess there's a lot of communities in sort of low-lying areas uh, on the west coast of Canada where, where I was sort of working. And I guess seeing, I, I guess, local government and provincial governments and uh, the communities trying to, uh, I, I guess, understand those those impacts and uh, make provision for, provision for that in their planning um, in the years ahead. So certainly a, a big challenge for, for those sorts of communities. Uh, and I guess... Um, I guess that's a particular sort of focus of, I guess, climate change. But I guess the other uh, challenge uh, for us as, as consultants and, and sort of with those working in, um, I guess, construction is to, uh, and I guess in keeping with, I guess, what we sort of see the, uh, the emphasis being, I guess, nationally and internationally is to look at reducing the emissions from our designs to help reduce the impact or reduce um, the impact of our designs on uh, on the, um, on climate change. At WSP, we're targeting to reduce the, uh, the carbon footprint of our designs by 50% by 2030. I guess the other broad area in terms of um, the construction industry, uh, the production and, and use of concrete is a, a big producer of, of sort of carbon. And uh, I guess from an industry perspective, looking at ways we can reduce the carbon emissions from the, uh, the production of concrete is something we sort of need to be looking at and looking at sort of uh, low carbon concrete and use of alternative cement products such as uh, you know, fly ash and ground uh, granulated blast furnace slag as uh, cement replacement materials is sort of something that, I guess in the maritime space, we've been doing for, for quite a number of years. 
but I guess more broadly, the use of those materials should be sort of considered in, in the production of concrete to, to help reduce the, the carbon emissions. And also, um, I guess, looking at um, specifications of our concrete to encourage the use of concretes that uh, have a uh, lesser sort of carbon emissions from that production as part of the, the specification. Oh, perfect. <clears throat> no, that's, um, that's good. Thank you. And so just back to the um, yeah, couple of points that caught my attention there. With the, the sea level rise, is that something, is, is it something more than we can just sort of build our way out of, like as in terms of seawalls or, you know, lifting structures or designing structures to cope with it? Is there something, more, was it physically a case of having to shift locations of some assets or towns or whatever it may be? Well, sure. I, I guess, yeah, there's sort of, I guess, a range of sort of measures and I, I guess adaptation being one of them to, I, I guess, um, try and undertake some works that are, that are going to, I guess, mitigate the impacts of the sea level rise on the community or, or the area that's sort of impacted by it. And I, I guess adaptation can work in some sort of areas. I guess there's other things you you can do to perhaps, if you've got a combination of sea level rise with, I guess, wave impacts as well, maybe there's some things you can do to, to try and reduce the wave impacts in, in combination with, I guess, addressing the sea level rise. Uh, that, that can be an, an approach. But it might be a case that you need to sort of actually uh, retreat away from the coastline. And that's, I guess, the I guess big challenge for uh, for communities and, and for for governments. Uh, yeah, I guess there's there's some some classic examples on the New South Wales coast, where sort of properties have been built, I, I guess, in areas of coastal erosion, and I guess many areas where there's, um, I guess, low lying areas that are going to be impacted by by sea level rise. But yeah, there's I guess a combination of approaches there. Um, so adaptation, if if it works, and then. Uh, you know, perhaps sort of retreat yeah. if if you can't sort of get there. No, interesting. Yeah, and I um yeah, like what you're saying there around the, the marine industry often using I guess you call it a more durable concrete from the get the get go because it's got a you know, it's got a last distance. There's downtime's not an option in a lot of cases. So uh, Yeah. No, yeah, exactly. And, yeah, pushing that out into other projects. I like that approach. Um, yeah, like uh, I, I, the one of the projects I worked in the UK yeah, back in the um, the late 80s, where we had I think it was 70% sort of slag uh, ground, sort of granulated slag mixed in in the concrete. Uh, that was I, I guess uh, 30 odd years ago now. So it's, and I, I think yeah, the use of slag and other materials in concrete in some you know in some industries sort of goes back well beyond that as well. But I, I think maybe in terms of a general industry, it's not not used as extensively. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. So, Michael, could you tell us a bit, a bit more around um, WSP's focus on the, the climate change issues, some of the things you're working on there? Yeah, sure. Yeah, thanks, Doug. Um, yeah, one of the, the good things about WSP, it's got um, what's called a future-ready framework. And this was, sort of, I guess, when I joined WSP five years ago, it was sort of something that I thought was uh, was really exciting. And it's an initiative that still exists and is ongoing, I guess, stronger than, than ever now. And I guess part of that is, I guess, um, where we try to see the future more clearly, clearly and design for it today. And that's our global innovation program to do that. And it's built around uh, four pillars, which is society, resources, climate and technology. So I guess looking at any project that we're involved in, it's to... Um, to look at the project and its elements and, and look at those aspects and sort of see what we can do to uh, 
I guess, sort of see what the things gonna look like in the future for that project and, and make sure we try and embody those features into our, uh, into our design. So things with like with society, looking at, I, I guess, uh, people's health, whether it's physical health and mental health, and obviously the, the sort of implications of COVID <laughs> on sort of society that we've seen over, over recent years and, and trying to bring that into our design. In terms of resources, we've been talking about sort of net zero and halving emissions. So it's looking at how we can reduce the emissions of our designs in, in our projects and looking at things like electrification, certainly in the in the port space, you know, there's a lot of automation electrification sort of going on. I see we see electric vehicles sort of becoming more and more prominent. Um, so those sorts of things. In terms of the, the climate pillar, uh, looking at the sea level rise, and I guess beyond that, looking at, I guess, more extreme events, uh, whether it's sort of rainfall events or sort of, sort of wave storms and things like that on the coast. I guess we're seeing that sort of thing happening in, in northern New South Wales around Australia with, I, I guess, the, the sort of large number of extreme flood events that have been happening in the last 12 months or so. So, so looking, at, looking at those aspects as part of climate. And then the fourth pillar being technology, looking at, I, I guess, what we see as potential technology changes uh, in the future with electrification of, of vehicles, for example, you know, with what that means in terms of, you know, I guess, if we've got sort of car parks and, and facilities for, for vehicles, looking at what that means with the designs that we're producing. So, so that's, the, I guess, the four four main pillars of it, uh, Doug, the society, resources, climate and technology, and, and trying to ensure that, uh, I guess, when we produce our designs, we're looking to the future and we sort of build opportunities into the design to, to make sure that what we're sort of designing today is ready for what's going to be sort of happening in the future. Oh, that's real good, Michael. And, yeah, I like like how those, you know, it can be quite challenging to look into the future, if you, if you like, but there's some real tangible, you know, areas that you can work on there i like that it's awesome yeah yep uh, yeah thanks doug yeah it's a it's it's a it's a really uh, exciting sort of program and I, I guess it doesn't i guess we try to apply it to uh to our projects as we're going through it i guess not every not that doesn't sort of fit every sort of project but certainly for um i guess when we're looking at our sort of projects we, we do our best to ensure that we're addressing those as aspects when we when we go through the through the work very good yeah and do you want to tell us a bit more about, you mentioned the 50% um, reduction there in emissions um, around WSP's focus in this, in that, um, sorry, in that climate change area? Yeah, sure. I guess, yeah, we're looking to, I guess, reduce the, the emissions um, from our designs as well as from our operations. So um, that's an initiative that's, uh, I guess, just sort of been happening over the last uh, six to, to nine months, uh, Doug. Um, so in terms of our internal operations, uh, looking to, reduce the uh, the emissions from, I guess, the sort of day-to-day -day things that we're doing within the business. And also looking, I guess, from the perspective of our designs that we produce to, to reduce the, um, the emissions from those as well. And, and that's, um, I guess, a developing space at the moment. It's an initiative that's uh, just recently been developed. And we're looking at what that sort of means in terms of, um, I guess, real sort of measures of of things that uh, and over, over, the, over the coming years, how we actually measure that and, and sort of uh, can sort of say, yeah, we've achieved these things in our design. So that's um, a work in progress in terms of the detail around that, but it's a target that our business uh, broadly has adopted here in Australia. Yeah. Okay. No, that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, we have to be, everybody has to be, um, have some initiative or, you know, that they're working on. It's not, yeah, not for sure. To, you know, just to push it to one side and that is. No, that's right. Yeah, and like I guess so. The value you know, talking about things like the concrete 
sort of design, you know, I think there's some big wins to be made in, in the way we sort of specify and uh, uh, use concrete in, uh, which is, I guess, one of the main main building products in many of the things that uh, that we design and uh, get constructed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can you say a bit more around that on the on concrete durability? Um, you mentioned that, that project earlier with the, was it 70% slag there? Is there other, yeah, give, yeah, give us some thoughts on that. In terms of the durability, yeah, I, I guess I've seen um, so, some bad sort of examples of, from a concrete durability perspective, Doug, and I guess one of the projects I was involved in, I won't say where it was, but uh, I guess building a, involved in the construction of a project in the in the early 80s and then um, I guess within 20 years sort of seeing that sort of suffering some severe uh, corrosion issues with chloride ingress was a suspended deck structure and the suffits of the uh, the beams and the undersides, uh, particularly yeah, the suffits of the beams and the underside of the, the slabs, uh, experiencing spalling uh, of the concrete due to the chloride ingress in the concrete, which uh, I was quite horrified at when I, when I found out that having, I guess, been involved on the site side of things and, and sort of seeing the, the care that was put into the um, I guess the ensuring that the project was constructed in accordance with the design. Quite so horrified to see see this outcome sort of within 20 years of the of the construction, and that was like, I guess uh, compared to these days was a I guess a poorly specified concrete. Uh, it was a 25 MPA concrete. Uh, it was a Type C Portland cement, which is what we were using back in the early 80s. And I guess not of a sort of standard that was was going to be durable. I guess compared to the the specifying of concrete that we sort of see today for maritime structures, which is looking at sort of 50 MPA sort of concretes, having sort of low water cement ratios, and, and then having I guess cement replacement that's going to also enhance the um, the sort of concrete performance, you know, whether it be through um, inclusion of sort of slag as a cement replacement material. Or, uh, or fly ash as well. Uh, you know, some projects I've been involved in, we've had some silica fume added as well. So looking at, I, I guess, uh, uh, sort of blends of um, the different products to to enhance the performance of, of the concrete, uh, it's just going to be very beneficial. Yeah, and I guess uh, just looking at in terms of performance of, of those concretes, and I mentioned, I guess the the sort of low quality concrete from that sort of project I was involved in back in the eighties, um, looking at I guess projects these days and the Port Botany project that was, I guess, built, I guess, over 10 years ago now, but the specification of that was for a design and construct project required 100 years design life. But as part of the concrete mix design, it was required that the um, the contractor and the concrete supplier actually do modelling of the uh, the concrete performance um, as part of their, their design to ensure that from a chloride ingress perspective that they're going to achieve 100-year design life in those elements uh, of the reinforced concrete. I guess a different approach to, to what it was quite a few years ago. Yeah, and I guess it's really important to have that, I guess, all the elements of the concrete mix right. You know, it's not just a, a one, it's not one thing you have to do right, you do a whole lot of things right. And it's also, <laughs> in the you know, with the contractors, you mentioned the ready mix and the contractor, obviously yourselves as engineers, all those people have to be pulling together as well to get that, get that end result, yeah. Yeah, for sure. No, yeah. Um, awesome. And any other major industry challenges you wanted to touch on? Well, yeah, I guess 
I guess in, inflation is, I guess, the big topic of the day in a lot of the sort of news these days, sort of prices going up and interest rates going up and things like that. And uh, I guess um, certainly over the last sort of six or nine months, uh, I guess one of the big challenges, I guess, in the construction, the building industry is, I guess, that inflation of costs in materials and labour. I guess there's been some quite significant I guess business failures uh, in recent times, without sort of mentioning them specifically. You know, I, th- I think uh, price pressures on, on particularly the construction industry uh, contractors, with the inflation in in their costs that are happening, and the potential impacts of that on I guess these businesses, uh, which impacts not just on the projects but on people's uh, people's lives and livelihoods. Um, you know, so that I, I guess. Um, over the sort of coming 12 months, I think is um, going to be an issue. And uh, in terms of, I guess, clients and consultants and, and and those businesses looking at ensuring that, I guess, the contractual provisions that exist within the building and construction contract, I guess, provide mechanisms to to deal with sort of significant sort of increases in prices mm-hmm. rather than sort of just saying, well, it was a fixed price contract that, that we signed sort of six months ago, or if we were looking to sign one in the future, ensuring that I guess there's a, an equitable arrangement for uh, ensuring that those cost increases can be uh, sort of managed by the uh, by the construction industry. Now that's um yeah no that's very very um, valid point there because yeah it's a, now's not the time to be forcing people to make shortcuts if you if you want to put it that way just because they've got you know haven't got the budget for it i think that's really good to make sure that's there's that provision there because yeah things never go wholly to plan do they on site well no i guess certainly i guess over the the last 12 or 18 months i guess been significant increases in the material sort of costs and yeah i guess in terms of the i guess you know the year or two ahead uh, i guess one one is sort of hopes that inflation sort of gets under control i guess ensuring as i say this sort of equitable sort of sharing of risk in, in that sort of sense uh, yeah. uh, i guess it's not reasonable to to expect sort of contracting sort of firms to um accept risks that they really can't sort of uh, estimate or, or know what they are at an early stage mm-hmm. yeah no that's um that's been really good, um, Michael. Um, and if our listeners today want to get get in touch with you, what's your preferred contact mechanism? Yeah, sure, Doug. But yeah, my email address is michael.cool at wsp.com, cool, C-O-U-L-L. Um, also on LinkedIn, so they can either contact me uh, through my WSP email or get in touch through LinkedIn if uh, anyone wants to, uh, to get in touch. Perfect. No, thanks very much. And um, that'll conclude our, our session today. You've been listening to Michael Cole from WSP in Queensland. I'd like to thank him for his time. And I uh, hope this has been valuable for your, you as a listener. Thank you. Right. Thanks, Doug. That's uh, been good to have a conversation with you. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Thank you very much. Yeah.